Good morning. Welcome to Covenant Church. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. I am really excited to be with you guys this morning. I do want to start off this morning telling you guys a bit of a secret. Uh, last Sunday was our Easter Sunday service. And I'm going to tell you, I left, well, I guess I didn't leave. I was at the house during the service. I left kind of disappointed, to be honest with you. I left disappointed because uh, I'm just ready to gather as a faith family. And uh, it made me think back over this past month, I guess month, almost six weeks now, however long it's been. Who knows days anymore? And I've thought about all the disappointments that have been in our lives. I think about Tracy, my wife as a teacher, when she found out that uh, school is kind of done, I remember for a day or two, she was just weeping at the thought of not seeing her kids, not saying bye to her kids, that she loves that she's teaching. I think me and Tracy the other night were looking at old pictures on the couch, and we came across a video from our son Hayes' kindergarten graduation last year. And then it hit us that our son Connor, who is now in kindergarten, is not going to get a graduation this year. And that's disappointing. That's sad. Um, I think to all of the families who are losing jobs right now or the businesses that are closing right now, people that are getting sick right now, our health care workers that are on the front lines, I think about all these things. And I think about there is real hurt. There is real disappointment. Like those things are real. And we feel those things. And I want to tell you, it's okay to feel those things. We should not make light of those. We should mourn those. We should lament those things. But here's the thing. Here's what's dangerous. What is dangerous is when our disappointment causes us to lose hope. When our disappointment causes us to lose hope, we're in a very troubled spot. Which brings to our main thought for today. And this, this right here. Disappointment is real but it's not final. Disappointment is real, but it's not final. And we see this all throughout Scripture, but today we're going to look at Luke 24. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, or I believe it'll be on the screen, we're going to be in Luke 24, starting in verse 13. And we're going to see this picture of real disappointment, but it ends with great hope. Verse 13 says this, That very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Just to remind you, Jesus was just crucified. They just saw the tomb was empty. There was a bit of confusion. There was, we weren't sure what was going on. And these disciples of Jesus were walking down this road. Verse 14. They were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near. Can you imagine this? And he went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And listen to this in verse 17. And they stood still, looking sad. These disciples of Jesus were downcast, disappointed, and sad because they thought Jesus was gone. Let's keep going. Verse 18. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know thing, these things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, Jesus said this, What things? What does he do? Jesus is so funny right here. And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word, and God, and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem 
Israel. Yes, and besides all this, this is now the third day since these things had happened. They were disappointed. You see, the disappointment was rooted in two things here. Two things that led them to be sad, to feel like their disappointment was final. The first thing here is they had small faith. Look at verse 25 here. They had small faith. Verse 25 says this. As they told Jesus all these things, he said to them in verse 25, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Think about this for a moment. These disciples had been with Jesus. They knew the Old Testament prophets had pointed towards Jesus. Even there was reports right now of an empty tomb, just like Jesus said, yet these disciples still did not believe which led to sadness and being disappointed because there was small faith. But there wasn't just small faith. There was also small hope. Look at verse 21. These disciples said this, We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. See, their hope was simply that Jesus would redeem Israel and not the entire world. That Jesus would fix these kind of earthly problems they were facing right now, but not necessarily change everything. Because, see, their hope was too small. Listen, if our greatest hope right now is that life just gets back to normal, then our hope is too small. If our greatest hope is for normalcy, then our hope is too small. Listen, I have wrestled with this so much the past few weeks, like the, the ups and downs, right? The waves of the hope and different things. But I think that is the issue that God is working on for most of us. He is testing. He's refining. He's sharpening with his love to make sure that our hope is in the things that can sustain it. The greatest hope. He is testing. He's refining. Which brings us to our next point. This is the reason, this next point is the reason that our disappointment is not final. Listen, it's, it's a, a point, you're going to laugh when I say because we all know it. It's the most preachery point in the history of points. Here it is. Jesus is our living hope. Jesus is our living hope. We might know this, but we have to fight to believe this. Look at how his disciples discovered this. Look, remember verse 16, it says, they were told that their eyes were prevented from seeing him. So they couldn't see Jesus for some reason. But Jesus wanted them to understand the totality of their living hope before their eyes were fully open. Look at verse 27 in this passage. It says here that Jesus, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Can you imagine? sitting with Jesus in this moment and having him unpack everything in Scripture, how everything is pointing towards him and being fulfilled in him. Can you imagine the beauty and the sweetness and just the mind-blowing nature of that moment? Because Jesus wanted his people, his followers, to know the true words and the ways of Jesus. That King Jesus was the living hope for all of Scripture. As our kids' Bible say this, that all of Scripture is whispering the name of Jesus. Look at verse 28. 
It says here, they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And then when he was at the table with him, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And then in this moment, watch this in verse 31. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. They recognized Jesus. And then he vanished from their sight. Finally, the presence of Jesus and the familiar act of breaking bread with their Savior, they see Jesus. They see their living hope. They see that he is back. He's returned. He is resurrected. Their eyes were then open. His words and his presence and their eyes were open. His life, his death, his resurrection, and his blessing are our hope, right? Here's a question for me and for you and for us today. Are our eyes open today? Or are our eyes simply down looking at disappointment? But have our eyes encountered the presence, the words of Jesus, so that our hearts and eyes can be open to the great hope that we have? See, this great hope, it supersedes our smaller hope for the world just to be normal. This is a greater hope than that. It's a greater hope than our small faith. This hope is greater than those things. It supersedes those things. But see, our living hope isn't just something we enjoy or think about. It actually produces something inside of us. Which is our next point. Our living hope produces conviction. Our living hope produces conviction. Look at verse 32. After Jesus vanished from them, it says, They said to each other, Did not our hearts, our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? The words and the presence of Jesus convicted them of their lack of faith and their small hope. As he unpacked all of scripture, all the Old Testament, they were, they were then convicted. Their heart was burned. Their heart was burned at their lack of faith and their small hope. Because you see, and we've all been there, right? When we've been convicted of sin, when our hearts burn at what we have done, when we are humbled in the presence and by the words of our Savior, right? Listen, what I've noticed in myself the past few weeks is that there is this, if our living hope produces conviction, I will say this. Obsessing over news breeds apathy, breeds worry. Binging Netflix all day, it breeds apathy, right? Being disconnected from people altogether, it breeds apathy. All these things are breeding and producing something in us. But listen, the presence and the words of God produce conviction. So here's my question for us. Are you feeling apathy today in your life? Are you just kind of floating through a lethargic, let's just get through life right now? Or are you feeling conviction in your life today, yesterday, in your days, in your weeks? Because it comes down, comes down to this. What are we committed to? Are we committed to just walking in the normal ways of binging, Staying on our screens all the time, being disconnected, obsessing over news. Are we committed to that? Or are we committed to 
placing ourselves under the presence and the words of Jesus, exposing ourselves to the words and presence of Jesus. Listen, friends, we have to commit to God's presence and God's words. This does not happen by accident. But listen, my hope is not to lead us today to shame for our sin. As I, as I prepare these words today, I feel great conviction. But don't feel shame. Our shame is about us accomplishing things on our own. And our shame honestly leads us back into ourselves. But true conviction, godly repentance, godly conviction leads us back out. Which is our final point. Our living hope produces hope in others. As we experience the presence, the words of our living hope, it will produce hope in us and then hope in others. Look at verse 33. It says here, They rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, and then saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Now remember, verse 17, there was sadness. But in verse 34, the Lord has risen indeed. The hope of Jesus Christ literally changes us. It changes the way we feel, the way we look, the way we live our lives, the words that we speak and we use. But it also compels us. Because imagine this, they felt this conviction. Their hearts were burning and then they ran. They ran to tell others of the great hope of the resurrection of their Savior, correct? And for us today, we, we are brought, we are humbled, we're convicted, but that conviction leads us out. It compels us to tell others of this good news. And this is what you see moving forward in the early church, in the book of Acts. You see this, these Jesus followers being so changed by the resurrection. That was their message. The resurrection of Jesus changed everything. And their living hope that the gospel would, and then the gospel would spread then almost like a virus. And I don't want to use a, a, a you know a cheesy pun right now, but the virus we're in. But you do see this thing when everyday people are, are captured by the good news, by our living hope. When they're truly captured by this, they're compelled to go and share others. And if that when that happens, we see this in the early church. When that happens, the gospel spreads like a virus. But we as a church, we as the people, we in the West have drifted away from the, the everyday person sharing this good news to the pastor sharing the good news. But I will tell you, many times the plumber is way more effective than the pastor is at sharing the good news. So I read an article this week, Luke shared it with me, with some church leaders about how the church is being changed by this virus. And this leader compared the church to a game of chess. And the game of chess has a queen, right? And how for us in the church, for many years, the Sunday gathering has been that queen, right? Has been the, the best chess piece that we always, always use. Yes, it's most important, but here's the tension. The church for too long has only used the queen. That's all we've used. And right now, the queen is gone, right? Sunday gatherings for all of us are gone in the church. But the church right now is in a unique and I think exciting time to finally use all of the pieces on the board. Not just the gathering and the queen, but the pieces. The people of God, the body of Christ, the hands and feet, the everyday people 
in the world, in everyday places, going out and modeling and sharing this. Listen, this season is a hard season. It is real disappointment, but it's also a season with great opportunity. Here's my prayer. is right now, in my life, in your life, there's a neighbor, it's by your family, there's a co-worker, there's a friend who is living as if there is no hope. That there's, the, the, the sentence they throw right now, it's final. There is no hope. But here's my prayer, is that we, the church, are freed up right now to be the church. We're not leaning on a pastor or a gathering, but we, the people, we're going out and we're showing and we're sharing our great hope. Disappointment is real, but it's not final. So how do we functionally live that way? We've got three points today for us to respond to this text, this passage today. The first, I would encourage you, commit to God's presence and God's words. Commit. When you commit to something, it means that you don't let it pass. You have to do these things. We must, as the people of God, commit to put ourselves under the words and the presence of God and to let his words and his presence soak down into us and convict us of our sin. Second, I want to encourage us to pray and identify one person. We can all do this. Pray and identify one person who is not walking in hope today. One person. Last thing. Commit this week to show and share your living hope. To show and share your living hope with that one person. Bring them some groceries. Send them a note. Make a phone call. But show them and share with them the greatest hope we have. The hope that our disappointment is not final. That we have great hope in Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this time together, Lord. I ask that uh, you bless all of our families all throughout our community and our cities. That you would, I pray that we be compelled today, Father with the great hope that we would walk in the ways of our early church fathers, walk in their ways, and go and show and share your good news. Lord, bless us. Lord, use us. We love you. We thank you for your words and for your presence. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.